Amen, brothers and sisters. It is a great joy for me to be in Irving again <laughs> after so many years. Of course, I've been back in the meantime, but uh, I left Texas, it seemed like almost for good, many years ago when I headed for Russia. That was 19, uh, 1991, yeah, right, and I never made it back. Anyhow, praise the Lord, I'm back today. Uh, well, brothers, we, we have a, a time together that the Lord has provided for all of us, and I believe there will be a significant number of us that will be gathered together through the weekend. I mean, saints are still moving, coming in, and they probably will the whole meeting, uh, but we'll go ahead. And then we will see by the end of today how many of the Lord will bring, and then tomorrow many more will come. So anyhow, praise the Lord that we're gathered together like we are today. And I believe the Lord will speak a word to us. You know, as we were praying a few minutes before the meeting, uh, we began to pray over Revelation uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12, when John said he was in spirit, and he heard behind him a, a voice, and he turned to see that voice, and having turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. And these lampstands, of course, we know are the testimony of Jesus. All the local churches should be the testimony of Jesus. Well, it wasn't just one lampstand that he turned and saw. It was seven. It was multiple lampstands. And what the Lord wants to do throughout this earth is to have multiple lampstands as the testimony of Jesus. The Lord is not satisfied just to have one lampstand. That was in the Old Testament. And that was the type. But the reality is not just one lampstand, it's seven lampstands. In other words, it's a multiple number of lampstands. And God's desire, brothers and sisters, is to have lampstands scattered everywhere people live. All over this earth. And that's our burden this weekend. And we're looking to the Lord to come in to have a real move among us, brothers. Uh, some of you are students in the universities. Some of you are students in high school. Some of us are older. And some are even middle-aged. And some are even beyond that. But anyhow, we never should get settled our whole life. That is the testimony of Abraham. And he is our pattern. He was a man of God that moved from place to place his whole life. Being on the earth by that time, the testimony of God. And he was God's testimony wherever he went. And today, that testimony is not something merely individual, but it is something corporate, and that is the church. And that church on this earth should be expressed in every locality as local churches 
bearing the testimony of Jesus. All these local churches. And what the Lord wants to do is not just to send someone to India or send someone to Africa or to Europe or Asia or some other place. The Lord wants to send out groups of people to locality after locality to be His testimony in that locality. And brothers and sisters, I hope by the end of this weekend, after these five sessions together, there will be something burning in all of us to follow Abraham, moving from place to place, never becoming set, never becoming settled, and never becoming occupied with things other than God's testimony. Brothers, our whole life should be spent this way. Moving about, spreading the churches throughout this whole earth. And I hope by the time this weekend is over, every one of you, and all that will come in, you know, later on in the weekend, we all would be stirred up to be part of bearing the testimony of Jesus to other places. Brother Lee used this phrase, we have to go from city to city, from state to state, from country to country, all over this earth, bearing the testimony of Jesus. Brothers, we were not born to be a typical American or a typical anything. We were born again to be God's testimony. And God's intention is to build up churches, city after city, state after state, country after country, and even all over the world to have the testimony of Jesus. And the only way that God can accomplish this in full is that His people become migrating ones to go out city to city to bear the testimony of Jesus. Brothers, I'd just like to tell you, I feel that in this area of the country, our testimony is rich with many experiences of saints moving from place to place. You know, that's the way I came into the Lord's recovery. What, uh, my wife has to help me. Well, it was uh, 1964, this is 2009, that's 45 years ago. And when I came into the Lord's recovery, I came in through and via, I would say, uh, the training in Los Angeles. And then I moved to Plainview, Texas. Some of you know where that is. And that's where one of the first churches was raised up through a, a group of students going to Wayland Baptist College. Anyhow, we began to meet there. Well, since that time, you know how many times I have moved with me and my, myself first and then my family next with my wife and three kids and then later after they all took off uh, with me and my, just me and my wife. You know how many times we've moved? 
30, I mean 15 times. And that's not just within the locality. That's locality to locality and state to state and country to country. 30 times we have moved. You know, the first five years of, with my two oldest children of their grade school years, we lived in five, they went to school in five different localities in five years in five different states. Well, you know, a lot of us think this would probably damage the kids or ruin them or whatever. Uh, I don't think my kids were ruined by that. In fact, I think it was a great help to them. And it was a great help to me, that's for sure. And my wife. You know, my wife, I don't know how she did it, but yeah, she did. And we didn't just live in... Uh, 15 different localities, we lived in 30 different places in those 15 localities. So we've actually moved 30 times. But uh, we don't count those. Those, those aren't real moves. Those are, you know, those are just byproducts of living in a locality. But anyhow, brothers, we are people that move from place to place and live from place to place to bear the testimony of Jesus. And praise the Lord, I can testify that in all these places that I have lived for 45 years, it was in a locality with other saints as the local church bearing the testimony of Jesus. Isn't that wonderful? I'm so happy that, uh, how many years did I stay as in recovery? 45 years. Lived in so many different places. But it was all spent in the testimony of Jesus. And I'd like to look out at y'all. There's a lot of young people here today. And, uh, you know, uh, young adults, middle-aged, older ones. I hope the rest of our lives will be spent moving from place to place bearing the testimony of Jesus. Your jobs are not worth it. There is no comparison to this. No comparison. Your job, your schooling, nothing compares to this. I am happy that I can look back on my life, you know, you know what portion of it I've lived, and have had the experience of migrating, living in different places on this earth. And I hope all of you young people, your day would start next week. <laughs> Your moving will start then. And some of you older ones, and some of you middle-aged ones, you're not too old to move. You think you are. Forget about it. You're only too old in your mentality, not physically. I would say at least 98% of you will give ground to 2%. They, they can't move physically. But the, the big problem is in the mentality, not in the physical, and not in the, uh, the needs. The Lord will meet our needs. The Lord has promised, and the Lord will take care of us. We're in the church. We have the Lord. 
We have the church. We have the supply of everything to go, brothers, to go. We all have to go. We all have to go. When you get to be 70 or 80, you're going to regret that you spent the, your whole life working in some occupation, making so much X number of dollars, but you never gave the Lord opportunity to move on the earth through you. You never spread. You will regret it, I assure you, once you get older. You think, I'll never regret it. Yes, you will regret it. You will regret it. I had the opportunity, and I had many opportunities, but I never rose up to follow the Lord in this way. Well, by the time this weekend is over, I hope every one of you can be convinced this is God's ordination for every believer. That He would spread His testimony all over the earth. And if you have not done that, or you don't intend to do it, the Lord would touch us. Well, let's come to the first message. Praise the Lord for the testimony of Jesus. Amen. And praise the Lord Amen. for all the local churches that the Lord wants to raise up throughout this earth. Well, the first message title is Transfusion, Consecration, and Migration with Vivification. You know what that big word is, right? It means to be vivified is to be made alive, I would say. With vivification through the life of Christ, the life of God, and coordination for God's manifestation, move, and administration. Roman number one. If we would walk in the steps of Abraham's faith, we must live the life of the altar and the tent. Taking Christ as our life and the church as our living to live a life of being transfused by God, of consecrating our all to God, and of migrating with God. Romans 4.12 says, Walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham. Brothers, in the New Testament, the Lord recognized Abraham as being such a one that walked in the steps of that faith. That faith. And Abraham is our father. And Abraham, everything Abraham was should become a pattern to us. He is our father. Our father. And the, fa the son always walks in the steps of the father. As you are, expect your children to become. Uh, otherwise, your children may not have much hope if the father does not walk properly. But praise the Lord, our father is Abraham... And we walk in the, father, the steps of that faith that Abraham had. And the steps of Abraham's faith means that we live a life of the altar and the tent. Amen. 
the altar and the tent. We'll say more about this as we go throughout the outline. We take Christ as our life and the church as our living that we might live the kind of life that Abraham lived. You know, in Acts 7 2, uh, one of the verses in the, uh, that we have in uh, the onset of the outline, this was when the God of glory appeared uh, to our father Abraham. Uh, Stephen uses this word. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham while he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Iran. Well, God appeared to Abraham directly. And that appearing was not just a showing forth of God's image. It was more than that. It was that that appearing became a transfusion of God himself into Abraham. What Abraham received was not merely a vision. He did say, see a vision according to the word. But more than that, he experienced something further. But the reality of that appearing of the Lord Jesus is what we experienced when we got saved. And we didn't have a physical vision of God, but we all experienced the infusion of the element of God into us. And God became our life. He became our everything. I've wondered many times why I cannot uh, not believe. Well, I would say mainly it's because of this infusion. Anytime I want to not believe, God is just there. And when I was saved, I can tell you there was a, a definite infusion of the life of God into me. I knew I had touched God. I believed in Him. God met me, and I met God. And no one could tell me from that day onward that God was not one with me. I had experienced Him. I had touched Him. I had believed in Him. I knew. And all over this earth, millions can testify, I'm saved because God appeared to me. God appeared to me. He touched me. He caused me to believe. And I just believed in Him. And I still believe. And you still believe. Well, Abraham became such a person at that appearing of the Lord to him. And then he began to live a life of the altar and the tent. After God appeared to him and he received God, then God, and we'll see this verse in Acts 7, you know, he called Abraham to leave uh, the place where he was. Mesopotamia, I believe, and to go into the good land. But Abraham was slow. And that, but Acts 7, 4 says, God removed him. It doesn't say God moved him, but God removed him. 
And that's what a lot of us need. God just sovereignly has to do something to remove us from one place to get us into another place. And that's what he did to Abraham. The Word says, look at Acts 7, uh, 4. Isn't it 7 to 4? God removed him. We think that God just moved Abraham to another place. No. He removed him from one place and brought him to another place. Hey, as believers in Christ, we are repeating the history of Abraham. The Christian life and the church life today are the harvest of the life and history of Abraham. It's a harvest of such a life. I would like to read you a few verses from A. Galatians 3. Uh, uh, I think I'll just read to you... Uh, Uh, these verses. Uh, just 14, 16, and uh, 14, 16. In order that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. But to Abraham were the promises spoken, and to his seed. Uh, coming to the end of the verse, who is Christ? The seed of Abraham was just Christ. And then verses uh, 28 and 29. There cannot be Jew nor Greek. There cannot be slave nor free man. There cannot be male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are of Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. Well, Abraham was such a person that lived by the altar and by the tent. And we, he is not only our father, but we are also his seed. We have sprung forth out of Abraham, according to faith. Christ was the seed of Abraham, but now we are in Christ, and we are of Christ, but so we become the very seed of Abraham. B, as the corporate seed of Abraham, we must come to Christ as the individual and transfigured seed of Abraham the life-giving Spirit in our spirit, so that we may learn of Him in the Spirit. In Galatians, Paul speaks of the blessing of Abraham, and that blessing is just Christ. Or that blessing is the Spirit. And this Spirit, the life-giving Spirit, is just Christ. And so... This life-giving spirit, who is our spirit, we have to learn of him in the spirit, and we have to live the same life that Abraham lived. He was one that lived the life of the altar and the tent. Let me read to you another few verses in Genesis. This is in uh, chapter 12. 
verses 17 and 18. And Jehovah appeared to Abram and said, To your seed I will give this land. Of course, in typology, we're the seed, and the land that we have received is Christ. To your seed I will give this land. And then the word says, And there he built an altar to Jehovah, who had appeared to him. This is 12, 7, and 8. Then verse 8, And he proceeded from there to the mountain on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel to the west and Ai to the east, on the east. And there he built an altar to Jehovah and called upon the name of the Lord. Amen. Well, after that, Abraham had a failure and he moved away to Egypt. Just like us, we have failures, and we try to move away from God's intention. But anyhow, God appeared to Abraham again. And then 9 says, and Abraham journeyed onward, journeying toward the Negev, or Negev. And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. Okay, so he backslid, and he was there for some time. And in 13.1, and Abraham went up out of Egypt. The Lord, as he does with all of us, eventually recovers us. And he went out of Egypt, and his wife and all that he had, and lot with him into the Negev, or Negev. In other words, God is bringing him back. Then, uh, verse 4, well, no, let's read 3. And he continued on his journey from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place you know, that he was before, where his tent had been at the beginning before Bethel and Ai, to the place of the altar which he had made there formerly, and there Abraham called on the name of Jehovah. Initially, Abraham was gained by God. And he was living with the altar and the tent. And he called on the name of the Lord. But he fell away. But God recovered him. And he recovered him back to the spot with the altar and the tent. And again he called on the name of the Lord. And the rest of Abraham's life was lived with the altar and the tent. Of course, the altar is Christ. And the altar is the place of our consecration to Him. It is here that the burnt offering was poured out upon the altar. So the altar in our Christian experience means the place where we give everything, we consecrate our all to the Lord, and we live this way our whole life. Abraham never lived any other way except with the altar and also with the tent. That was his life. The altar became his life, fully given to God. Brothers, we have to live the life of the altar. Everything belongs to him. Everything. We're fully consecrated to Him. 
But along with that altar, Abraham had his tent, and that tent was his living. And with that tent, he moved from place to place. Abraham never settled down. Well, he is our pattern, brothers. With the altar and the tent, that is the primary elements that we have to experience. We have to live Christ as the altar, and we have have to experience Christ as the altar, and we have to live Him as the tent. He's our life, and this is the way we live Him. Number one, just as the Son lived in the presence of God without ceasing, seeing His Father's face every moment, we need to love the Lord's appearing, His present manifestation and His future coming for the sake of His move, which is fully in, by, and with the Spirit. You know, just as uh, Abraham was a Hebrew, uh, that was in typology. Today, we are the real Hebrews. And we have to live a life in the presence of God without ceasing. You know, the Hebrew word means, do you know what it means? It means river crosser. Look at chapter, and look at Hebrews 1 1, footnote 2. Brother Lee defines the meaning of the, of the word Hebrew. Hebrew means a river crosser. You cross from one place to another. You leave one place and enter another place. This is what a, an experiential Hebrew is. He's a river crosser. And brothers, I'd like to tell you, your whole life will be spent crossing rivers. Many rivers. From death to life, you know, from your intentions to God intent, God's intention. You, we all will cross many rivers. We're the Hebrews. We're river crossers. Well, Abraham and his journey, eventually he crossed the Euphrates. He crossed out of uh, the old land into the new land. The new land was Canaan. That was Christ. He started out in Mesopotamia. 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 (laughs) Anyhow, he was on that side of the Euphrates. (laughs) Mesopotamia. Okay, anyhow. Anyhow, he crossed over the Euphrates into the land of Canaan. He crossed over from Satan, sin, and death into the good land, which was Christ. Abraham crossed the river. And today, brothers and sisters, as one who follows Abraham's faith, we will cross many rivers. And even I hope during this conference, we would be the river crossers. Crossing the river to follow the Lord according to His leading. Praise the Lord. He passed over the Euphrates. We need to pass over so many other things.
You know, concerning this matter of living in the presence of God without ceasing, you know, the Song of Songs has a very particular verse that I'd like to mention to you, and that is, uh, I hope, hope this is, uh, I've got to find it. Song of Songs 1-4. I like this verse. You know, I'm a married man, and, uh, you know, Solomon, he was the king at that time. He's the one that wrote Solomon. And he wrote this uh, poetry, the Song of Songs. And it's uh, a picture of a king falling in love with a Shulamite woman, which was a country girl. And Solomon fell in love with this girl, and, who was a king, and she was just, a, you know, someone living in poverty, but he loved her. So what did Solomon do? He became just like her in order to gain her. Well, the whole point is, this is a picture of Christ becoming just like us, who he had fallen in love with to gain us. And eventually he won a Shulamite, you know, the country girl's love. And she loved him, and he loved her. And they had a mutual relationship. And this is what came out of that relationship. You know, this is what happened to my wife. You know. Okay, not verse 4, verse 2. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. For your love is better than wine. Isn't this your relationship with your wife? How about it? <laughs> you know, we live in two different places. He lives in Atlanta. I live in Texas. You know, still the same. We both have a wife, right? Have you ever kissed your wife? <laughs> okay. You know, a kiss between a, especially a husband and wife, that is the most intimate. Right? Don't you enjoy kissing your wife? Don't you wives enjoy kissing your husbands? <laughs> How about it, Dave? <laughs> I'm, I'm glad in Georgia y'all are the same as we are in Texas. Anyhow, Solomon, you know, he enjoyed kissing the Shulamite. And the Shulamite enjoyed kissing Solomon. Let him, him, this is a Shulamite speaking, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. You know, a kiss is a highest manifestation between the love of two persons. You know, this is personal. You don't just kiss anybody, right? I don't think I've kissed anybody except after I kissed my wife except my kids, <laughs> but that didn't count. That's just, you know, that's, a, that's, the, that's the second degree of love, <laughs> I guess. Anyhow, <laughs> anyhow, it's such a manifestation. But brothers, this, is a, this shows a, a private relationship that you have with no one else like the, your mate. It is not just private, it's personal. 
And it's so affectionate and very intimate. I would say, brothers, if you're going to become one who is a one who follows in the steps of Abraham, you need to have this kind of relationship with the Lord. Amen. Then wherever He leads, you will go. You will go because you love Him. Well, brothers, may the Lord give us such a relationship. The Lord Jesus has such a relationship with the Father. These verses, He was sent by the Father. He was with the Father. Paul loved, loved Him and loved His appearing. You know, Solomon loved the Shulamite. Shulamite loved Solomon. And then in Acts 28, Paul says that God had appeared to him. And Paul had seen the Lord in so many things concerning Christ. He loved Christ. That's why Paul was such a person. And you know concerning the Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 4.11, he says that he was a wanderer without a home. That's Paul. He was a wanderer without a home. That's why Paul was so useful to the Lord. He didn't care where he lived. He was just a wanderer. He had no home. He loved the Lord to the uttermost. And you know, what's concerning Christ, he said, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You, are you a follower of the Lord? Okay. Can you say you have nowhere to lay your head? You know, he's just like, you know, may we be such followers. Two, just as the Son took the Father as his source, looking up to heaven, and expected the Father's blessing, looking to the Father as the source of blessing for his move, we need to expect and depend on the Lord's blessing as we follow him, wherever he may go for his testimony. Brothers, have no fear. Whoever goes, the church will bless. And not only will the church bless, but God will bless. The blessing always follows those who depend on the Lord. Three. Just as the Son came to do the will of God by sacrificing Himself on the altar of the cross, and just as he was, and just as he was the tent of God, the tabernacle of God, living as a sojourner on earth, having no place to lay his head, we need to live a life of the altar. Parentheses, the crucified Christ is our life, and the tent, parentheses, the church, the corporate Christ is our living. This is the way we live, brothers. This is the way we live. All right, going on. See, Abraham's faith did not originate with himself. You know, don't trust in your own faith. You say, I've got faith. Well, the faith you've got will run out pretty fast. You know, I used to think I had a lot of faith. 
Eventually, I found my face was just about zero. You know, I don't know about the rest of you. But when our faith is Christ, the Lord can lead us through in everything. Our faith must become Christ. Abraham's faith did not originate with him. Rather, his believing in God was a reaction to the God of glory appearing to him and to the transfusion and infusion of God's element into his being. Is this not our case? You know, when Abraham started out, God had to remove him. You know, He didn't have much infusion, so... God couldn't just speak to Abraham and say, go here and go there. God had to remove him. <laughs> he told him to go to, into the good land, and Abraham just lagged behind. So God removed him and sent him forth. God is sovereign. And for those he wants to go, he will make a way for them. But brothers, as we are touching this God of glory and enjoying Him and His being transfused, infused into us. Brothers, that infusion, that transfusion, you can't do anything but respond to Him. You love Him. You've touched Him. You want to follow Him to, until death's door to follow Him wherever the Lamb leads us to go. Now, whole brothers, this becomes a living of every one of us. You know, this matter of transfusing and infusing, I'd like to share a word with you that Ed Marks shared with us last week. You know, we had this same conference, or, you know, similar conference, had the same outlines. I can't say it's the same speaking exactly. But anyhow, it's the same outline. And uh, in, as Ed was going over through this outline, he used a word uh, for infusion and transfusion. It's another word very similar, and the word is suffusion. Have you ever heard this word, suffusion? S-U-F-F-U-S-I-O-N. Let me tell you what it means. It's much more rich than infuse and transfuse. And what does it mean? It means to fill, saturate. Gradually spread, to flood, to permeate your whole being. That's suffusion. suffusion. Well, brothers, what we receive from the triune God is suffusion. We've been suffused with a triune God. And He is there all the time, filling us as we contact Him, saturating us, gradually spreading throughout our whole being, flooding us and permeating us with Himself. Amen. You know, brother, what is your name? I forget. From Oklahoma. Yeah, Joel. Yeah, Joel. Should remember you. You know, I got to know Joel more in Jackson when I was there having my, you know, my knees worked on by the brother Jim, who's sitting here somewhere, oh, right there. And you know, Jim took care of me there, and he and his wife were there. Are you still there? 
Are you still there, right? You know? Uh, we had a lot of good fellowship together. And I could tell right away, here is a brother under the suffusion. <laughs> I didn't have that word by then. But anyhow, I could tell. You know, he was one. Are you a doctor now yet? Officially? Okay. He was just, by then you were kind of, what, an intern? All right. Oh, yeah, you're still a resident. Anyhow, you're, you're a doctor. <laughs> and one day you'll be more official. <laughs> Maybe you're already official. But anyhow, when the first time he came in the room to visit me, I knew he was under the infusion. Because when he touched me and I spoke to him, we met Christ. Of course, I had met Christ in Jim. And the other two brothers that were there, you know, Dale and uh, Steve, the, you and, <laughs> and Jackson, I call it the Church of Doctors. <laughs> I think by that time, of course they had more now, but they had about 45 in the church. And one morning, I just counted one, two, three, you know, four or five. Uh, all, so many, more than five, but I got up to about 15 associated with the medical profession. Well, that's the church of doctors. <laughs> Praise the Lord, it's the church of Christ, too. Amen. Not, you know, the church of Christ. <laughs> but the church of Christ in the Bible. <laughs> Anyhow, praise the Lord. I met Christ in that place. Amen. And I could tell the saints were being infused or suffused with the triune God. Brothers, we all need to be under such a suffusion all the time, brothers. You know, that's what the recovery is, brothers. Living in such a way. Four, God's appearing and transfusion issue in our consecration. You can't do anything but consecrate if you're under such an infusion, transfusion, suffusion causing us to build an altar and live totally for God. By God's appearing in transfusion, Abraham trusted in God for his instant leading, taking God's presence as the roadmap for his traveling. You know, God didn't give Abraham any directions. He just said, go. And Abraham had to follow him all the way. An altar is for worshiping God. By offering all that we are and have to God for His purpose. Uh, this is E. Building an altar means that our life is for God, that God is our life, and that the meaning of our life is God. Amen. You know, I love this last verse reference here, Psalms 43, 4a. I will go to the altar of my God. I will go to the altar of God. And then listen. The psalmist continues, To God, my exceeding joy. My exceeding joy. You better all memorize that verse. F. Abraham's dwelling in a tent testified that he did not belong to the world, but lived the life of a sojourner on earth. 
Erecting a tent is an expression, a declaration that we do not belong to this world, that we belong to another country. We belong to another country. Let me read to you Hebrews 11, a few verses out of Hebrews 11. I, I love these verses. And I would say you need to put all these verses on your refrigerator or your mirror when you're, when you're straightening your hair or shaving your face. Verse 8, 11, 8. By faith, Abraham, being called, obeyed to go into a place which he was to receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt as a foreigner in the land of promise as in a foreign land making his home. You know, all these moves that I have made, to all the surrounders, I was just a foreigner, you know, especially in Russia. You know. <laughs> but everywhere I went, I'm just a foreigner. If you're a sojourner, you're a foreigner. Of course, with God's people, you're not a foreigner. But to all the others, you're a foreigner dwelling there. Um, okay. Uh, I read verse 8. I'm mixed up here. Sorry with that. By faith, Abraham, being called, obeyed to go out into a place which he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt as a foreigner in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, making his home in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the fellow heirs of the same promise. For he eagerly waited for the city which has the foundations whose architect and builder is God. What city is that? That's the New Jerusalem. Brothers, that's where we're heading. That's our permanent dwelling. Forget about all these other dwellings. Then verse 13. All these died in faith, not receiving the promise, but seeing them from afar, and joyfully greeting them and confessing that they were strangers and sojourners on the earth. For those who say such things make it manifest that they seek after a country of their own. Brothers, we've got a own country, our own country. And it's not the United States of America. It's not Taiwan. It's what? It's God's country. Amen. New Jerusalem. And even I would say it's the local church. And if indeed they continue to remember that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. Forget about a place, you know. And then verse 16. But as it is, long, but as it is, they long after a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed of them to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Amen, brothers. Regardless of how many moves you make, None of those is your permanent dwelling. Forget about it. 
We've got a city waiting for us, prepared by God. Okay? Gee, Abraham had his failures, and there was the forsaking of the altar and the tent. However, with him there was a recovery. And the Lord's recovery is a matter of returning to the altar and the tent with calling on the name of the Lord. We've already said something. One, Abraham's tent was the altar built by him. Altar, Abraham's tent with the altar built by him was a prefigure of the tabernacle of the testimony with the altar built by the children of Israel. The altar and tent with Abraham was a prefigure of the altar and the tent uh, with the children of Israel. Two, Abraham's tent was a miniature of the New Jerusalem, the ultimate tent, the ultimate tabernacle of God. You know, the New Jerusalem is called the tabernacle of God. You know, these verses, Genesis 9, it talks about the tents of Shem. You know, Adam's, I mean, uh, Noah's son was Shem, uh, who was the father of Abraham, you know, his ancestor. They lived in tents. Then the children of Israel lived in tents. Then in John 1, the Lord Jesus was a tabernacle. And then in Revelation 21, the New Jerusalem is a tabernacle. You know, the uh, children of Israel, one of their feasts was the Feast of Tabernacles. And you know what they did at these feasts? Everybody lived in their own tent. And they spread all their t individual tents around the tabernacle. And there were just hundreds of tents where all the children of Israel lived in for those days of the feast. And the purpose of that was to remember that their forefathers, as they were coming out of Egypt, dwelt in tents. That God's people are just tent dwellers. And we should be tent dwellers. And brothers, for eternity, we're going to be a tent dweller. We're going to live in the tabernacle of God, the New Jerusalem. Don't think you need to live in anything better than that. Three, as we are living in the, quote, tent of the church life, we are waiting for its ultimate consummation. The ultimate ten of meeting, the New Jerusalem. Okay, we need to spend uh, the rest of our time on Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel, Roman number 2. Ezekiel 1, the deepest chapter in the Bible, reveals that the spiritual history of every normal Christian, the spiritual history of every normal Christian, should be a continual cycle of vivification, and coordination for God's manifestation, move, and administration. A. The blowing wind in the uh, recovery version is called storm wind. Anyhow, the blow, it was a blowing wind. The blowing wind, the overshadowing cloud, the sanctifying fire, and the glowing electrum should be can be a continual cycle of vivification in our Christian life. Amen. Then we have some explanation of these, three, these four points. One, whenever God visits us and revives us, 
His Spirit blows on us like a mighty wind to bring a spiritual storm into our life, into our work, and into our church, causing us to be satisfied and concerned about our spiritual condition and to have a turn in our spiritual life. Brothers, may the Lord, in our individual experience, in our church life experience, in our work for the Lord, in all respects concerning our living and our life, God needs to bring a storm to us. And that storm is from the north. It doesn't say in the outline, but in the, in the word. It's a storm from the north. And north signifies the place of God's dwelling. God is from the north. Well, that wind is a north wind that comes to blow on us. You're satisfied with your spiritual condition. You're satisfied just to be working for a living and making a, enough money to support your family. You're just satisfied to, to be doing so many things. You're satisfied with your life and with your wife, with your family, with everything. Well, the Lord needs to come to blow on our situation. To revive us. And that blowing, brothers, becomes a reviving factor within us. He needs to blow on our so-called spirituality. Are you satisfied with your spirituality? Are you satisfied with how many people you're bringing to the Lord? Are you satisfied with your functioning in the meetings of the church? Are you satisfied with your living for the Lord? Are you satisfied with the spreading that you have done in the Lord's recovery to carry out His divine move? Are you satisfied? If you say no, and I think all of us would say no, we need a north wind, a storm of God to blow on us, to revive us, to stir us up, that we would be those responding to God, moving with God, and carrying out our living with God. He wants to do this. This storm causes us to be satisfied and concerned about our spiritual condition and to have a turn in our spiritual life. Two, the cloud is a figure of God as the Spirit abiding with His people and covering them in order to care for them and show favor to them. Praise the Lord. When you're stirred up by the Lord, when the Lord comes to blow in your situation to revive you, praise the Lord. There is the Lord's presence. The cloud is there. The cloud is there. And the cloud is God Himself caring for us and showing favor to us. Three, the fire signifies God's burning and sanctifying power. The more the fire of the Holy Spirit burns in us, the more we are purified and enlightened. And the Lord will burn in us until everything 
that is not according to the holy nature and disposition of God is burned away. Brothers, we need the holy fire to come to us, to burn us, to purify us. But not only that, it also needs to be a fire that enlightens us, exposes us, shows us the real condition concerning ourselves, our family, the church, the burning fire. We need to be burned by this fire. We need to be enlightened by this fire. So they will become the proper persons. Three. Uh, four. The electrum. It's an alloy or amalgam composed of the elements of gold and silver. Uh, this is a, uh, a particular uh, substance, brothers, that it's formed out of two different uh, substances, two different elements, one of gold and one of silver. It's a very unusual uh, combination. Okay? What does this signify? Well, gold always signifies God and His divine nature. That is gold. Gold is God. And then silver, in the Bible, it typifies redemption. Gold and silver, God with His redemption. These two substances bear these uh, denotations. Gold is God, silver is the very redemption of Christ. And what this signifies is the Lamb God in the New Jerusalem. God is there as the Lamb, and Christ is there as the, the Lamb, being the, He's the Lamb, and God is the light. God, Christ is the lamp. God is the light. Well, that's what this, uh, uh, this, this substance signifies. The electrum signifies the lamb God, the redeeming God that will be with us for eternity. He is such a one. And whenever you have the first three substances, Eventually, you end up with this radiating electron. The Lamb God is fully manifest. God has blown on you. He has passed the cloud over you. The fire has come to burn and purify you. And the issue of that is the electron. And you radiate the very triune God, the Lamb God. And you are not you become the very expression of God. B, the more we experience God as the blowing wind, the overshadowing cloud, the burning fire, and the glowing electrum, the more we are vivified with a divine life to become the four living creatures for God's manifestation, for God's manifestation of His glory. Move, that's just move on the earth, and administration, which is the administration 
from his throne, which is at the end of this chapter. These living creatures are the corporate expression of the man on the throne. Amen. These living creatures, they look like a man. They, but God also on the throne, it has the appearance of a man. This indicates that God's intention fully involves man. You have the four living creatures that are the expression of a man. You have God on the throne that is in the appearance of a man. This means that these four living creatures that come out of God's dealing, they're living creatures. And they have the very appearance of a man. But they also bear the appearance of God. Brothers, as we pass through all the dealings under the hand of God, we become, number one, living. We are vivified. We become living creatures. And as living creatures, we are man in full. And we also are men who bear the very expression of God. And this is what God wants to do in His recovery. And this is the testimony that the God, God wants the living creatures to bear to so many places. Ezekiel 1, 11 through 14 conveys a clear picture of the coordination of the living creatures. A portrait of the church life with the coordination of the members of the body of Christ. Coordinating is a central point and key to understand the vision in Ezekiel. Let us read further and then I'll, I'd like to illustrate. The move of the living creatures is not individual, but corporate. These four living creatures are not presented as four individual living creatures, but they become a group that move together. The move of one entity in coordination. This is a beautiful picture of the coordination in the church as the body of Christ, in which each member has his particular position, function, and ministry. The joining of the two wings, eagle's wings, of the living creatures is for their corporate moving and coordination. The wings of an eagle signify the grace, strength, and power of God applied to us. Amen. Three, the eagle's wings are the means by which the living creatures are coordinated and move as one. Their coordination is not in themselves, but in God by the divine power, strength, and grace. Okay, I would just like to uh, illustrate just a little bit. I want to take just a few minutes. I know many of you have all, all seen this illustration, but many of us are new uh, to this ministry. And I'd like to illustrate. I'd like uh, four young people. about four young brothers? Here's two. Get the young brothers. Here's two. Okay. Come up here. <laughs> this is the youngest one. <laughs> okay. Okay. We have these four young brothers. These are men. These are 
living creatures. Praise the Lord. Amen. And praise the Lord they have been dealt with. And they're in the church. But, you know, they're all just separated, you know. And they're not worth a dime. <laughs> How can they become worth something? They have to learn to be coordinated. Amen. And in that coordination, they become useful members in the body. And the way these four living creatures were arranged, they were, they all, they faced forward, but their forward was four different directions, like this. It's like this. Whoops. Okay. This is the four living creatures. And they were all faced in four different directions. And they all had eagle's wings. Right? The eagle's wings covered them. They all looked like a man, but they were, they had eagle's wings. And these, they were joined by each wing. Okay, y'all joined together. These, these don't make two, anyhow, these are two games. Okay. Well, when they had to move, how did they move? Well, the Word tells us. They all went straight forward. How did they go straight forward? Well, this one takes the lead. Okay, what do these two have to do? One has to walk backwards, other two have to walk sideways, right? This is the way these four living creatures move. And they're joined at the wings, the Word says. They all have these eagle wings. And these eagle wings bear a particular testimony of the four living creatures as we read there a few minutes ago. Well, they lead according to their function in the body. One may lead in prophesying, so he takes the lead. Praise the Lord. And all the others move with him. Another one moves in the gospel. So they all move together. These four are moving together. One's taking care of the truth. He's just taking the lead. Uh, and all the others are moving with him. Another one may be taking care of the service. So he moves. He takes the lead. And all the others also move. What, what if we're going we're to begin into the gospel now? And they all take the lead. This one thought, what a mess. <laughs> but if they all will follow this one who, that is taking the lead, then they all move together. Uh, okay, what were you? You were in the lead in the prophesying. Or let's move faster and prophesy a little further. <laughs> that's, that's good enough. Anyhow, brothers, we all have to be coordinated together with others in the carrying out of God's divine economy. And this move in Ezekiel was fast. It was like lightning. And we all know how fast lightning is, right? How fast does it move? You know, right? That's 186,000 miles a second, right? It moves like lightning. Is that right? 186,000 feet Miles? Yeah, miles a second, right? Yeah, that's right. 186,000 miles a second. That's the speed of light. That's how fast these move. Okay, we're on the gospel. They all move together. We're on the service. 
we all move together. We're on the uh, gospel. We all move together. And what, what are you strong in? Uh, I was gospel, actually. Oh, you <laughs> What are you strong in? Truth. Truth, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, this is the way we all should move in the church. Amen. Number one, brothers, and principally, we all are made living. Amen. We're all vivified Amen. by the four things mentioned in verse 4. Amen. We're made alive. Right? And eventually we have the radiant expression of the triune God. All of us. But we are still not that useful. All the living creatures have to become coordinated. And in that coordination, God can carry out His move. And in this coordination, there's all the aspects that we just mentioned. There's the administration of God. What do we, all do we say? Uh, um, what what were the, the points? The manifestation, huh? The, yeah, the manifestation, the move, and the administration of God comes out of such a coordination. And with this coordination, when it is in the, when the whole church is coordinated in such a way, brothers, you see this coordination. You see this move. You see this administration carried out in the church. You know, I was so thankful yesterday. We had about 24 brothers gathered together all day long. And from many churches, and we met for... 11 to 9.30, I guess. Anyhow, it was a long meeting, just stopping for lunch. You know, we did get to stop a little bit, but, you know, you still fellowship over lunch. So we were together 10 hours. And I was just amazed, you know. We had some from Georgia, some from Texas, some from California. I don't know where else. But anyhow, we were all there. And we're all different in a sense. For sure, humanly, in the flesh, we're different. But I was so pleased that all the fellowship there, as we fellowship there for those uh, over 10 hours together. You know? I mean, one brother, you know, he, he went this way. And all of us just went, you know, we just went with him. Some walked sideways, some were walking backwards. We just walked. Another brother took the lead, you know. Another walked. And then later, that brother was taking, those two brothers that were taking the lead, somebody else took the lead, and they walked backwards, and they walked sideways. Isn't that wonderful? I saw that yesterday. And this is the coordination that should be in all the churches. We just move this way in coordination. First of all, we're the living creatures. By passing through so many experiences of God. Then, not only are we living, but we're coordinated to carry out God's divine move and ultimately to bring in His divine administration throughout this earth. Do you believe? Thank you, brothers. 
Anyhow, this was a long outline. Uh, I think I'm on E, right? Huh? I haven't read D yet. Okay. The issue of the coordination of the living creatures is that they become burning coals with the holy God as the consuming fire burning among them and within them. That both the Lord on the throne and the living creatures bear the likeness of a man and have the appearance of fire indicate that the living creatures are the expression of the Lord. Amen. E. The living creatures having a proper coordination will not walk but run because they have the power and the impact. L. The coordination of the believers as members of the body of Christ results in the corporate manifestation of Christ. You know who I saw yesterday manifested in that fellowship? Can you guess? Christ. Right. Christ is always manifested in the glorious coordination among the saints in the church. In the move of God on the earth, it results in the corporate manifestation. In the move of God on the earth, and the administration of God on the throne. Thus affording God a way to manifest His glory and accomplish His eternal purpose and plan. In the book of Ezekiel, God's economy and God's move in His economy are signified by a great will. This is in verse 15. One, the hub of this great will signifies Christ as the center of God's economy. So you have a great wheel, and in that wheel you have a hub. That is the center, and that's the very, that's Christ who's the center of God's economy. Around that center is a rim. You can read all this in Ezekiel. The rim signifies Christ's counterpart, the church, which consummates in the New Jerusalem. And the spokes of the wheel, spreading from the hub to the rim, signify the many believers as the members of Christ. Two, the appearing of the wheels on the earth beside the living creatures indicates that God's extraordinary move on earth follows the coordination of the four living creatures. God's extraordinary move on the earth is the move of God with a particular purpose. God wants to move. But how does He do it, brothers? He can only move with such a great will when the living creatures are fully coordinated and moving together. Brothers, we have to learn the way of coordination. We need to be living, and we need to be living creatures who become coordinated. And if so, in every place that these living creatures are coordinated together, beside them, as is depicted in that first chapter of Ezekiel, 
there is a great wheel, and it's, it's called an awesome wheel. And that represents the, the strength and the impact of God's move on this earth. And brothers, the Lord wants many of us, even I would say all of us, to become the living creatures, brothers. And as living creatures, to become coordinated together in the church and with all the members. And if so, beside us, there will be the, and with us, will be God. And He will be, there will be a great move with us. In the coming messages, we'll have a lot more to say about this. In ourselves, we should be small, but the wheel beside us, the move of God's economy with us, shall be high and awesome. All four wheels have the same appearance. This indicates that the move of the Lord has the same appearance in every church. I was so happy yesterday. We had a lot of churches represented. But I'd been, you know, looking into this message. And I was just so thankful from the Lord that every church yesterday was bearing exactly the same appearance. And it should be, brothers, that every local church bears the same appearance. Be it in the same state, be it in the same country, or be it in the same world. The local churches bear the same appearance. And they carry out the same move of God. And all the churches are coordinated together. A wheel within a wheel indicates that in the move of the living creatures, there is the move of the Lord. The inner wheel, the wheel as the hub, is the source of the power for the moving of the outer wheel, the church, as the rim. The hub is like an inner wheel, and the rim is an outer wheel. And the source of that wheel is coming from the hub, and it turns the outer rim, which, you know, which is the church. And when the church moves, brothers, there is a wheel beside that church. That means in the move of the church, the move of God is present. And I will assure you, brothers and sisters, if you would migrate with the Lord, and you would be like Abraham, and you would follow Him as your father, and as your pattern to move on this earth, and you would move having become a living creature, and having become a coordinated creature, as you move in God's move, God will move with you. And beside you will be an awesome and great will. Do you believe that? I believe. A great and awesome will. It is not that you're that great and that you can do that much. But in that coordination, there is a move of God. And there is a high and awesome wheel beside you. I mean, I don't think this is so great 
But I'm so thankful that I got to go to Russia. And, you know, I was just, you know, one of the guys, one of the brothers, you know, that was there with all these other brothers and sisters. And we just got coordinated. And praise the Lord today, we went there in 1991. Zero believers. Well, no, there were a few believers that was gained here in Dallas. They were in Russia, in Moscow. That was all, just those few. But praise the Lord. In five weeks, uh, uh, over 20,000, over uh, 25,000 stood up and prayed to receive the Lord. And over 7,000 were baptized. Tell me, was that a great wheel or not? Have you ever heard of in 10 weeks of preaching the gospel, 7,000 were baptized? And 20, over 25,000 stood up and prayed to receive the Lord? You ever heard that about that? I, I can tell you, I never experienced in the Southern Baptist denomination where I grew up in. <laughs> never saw such a thing. But I saw it in Moscow and St. Petersburg. That was the Lord's move. And today, praise the Lord, in uh, 12 countries of the former Soviet Union, 12 of 15, there are over 200 local churches in those 12 countries. You know, was that a move of God or not? Well, I'll tell you, during that time, I enjoyed a marvelous coordination with all those co-workers. There was no opinions. We just moved together like four living creatures all the time. Some of them were just walking backwards. Now. You know, some of them were just walking sideways. Praise the Lord, somebody was taking the lead. You know? That was the way it, the work was carried out. And beside us, this wheel was just rolling. And the Lord gained so much. And I just thank the Lord that I got to be a part of that. And I want you all to have a part in something like that. I don't expect that we're all going to, the Lord's going to let us be in a place where, you know, so many are saved and so many are baptized. And, you know, so many churches are raised up. And that doesn't matter. But we need to be those who have been gained by God to be living creatures, full of Christ, that have been shined on and having everything and being purified and enlightened and have become the living creatures, being coordinated together to move and carry out God's divine economy. Do you want that kind of life? This is what you have been brought into. This is what you have been brought into. What I have been brought into. What we all have been brought into. This is God's move, and this is God's intention for today.